Well, if you would take your Bibles and open them up to 1 Peter. 1 Peter this morning. <laughs> Somebody enjoyed that. 1 Peter, if you come here on a regular basis, you know that we've been in the book of Acts. And that is really our convention, our practice here at First Baptist Powell. We typically will take a book of the Bible and walk through it verse by verse. And uh, we will... We will toggle between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We, not that long ago, preached through the book of Deuteronomy. Glory be to God. And uh, now we are in the book of Acts. But this morning, this Resurrection Day morning, we are going to be in 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And then we'll be back in the book of Acts next Lord's Day. So, Hope you will join us next Lord's Day as we continue our march through the book of Acts. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3, we'll read through verse 9 together and we'll unpack this text this morning concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you get there, because this is the Word of God and you are the people of God on the Lord's Day, if you are able, would you please stand To hear from the God who still speaks in his word to his people. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Peter wrote as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Years ago, I had the stewardship and the privilege of being a part owner in a small company in Central Texas. I, I helped to start this company and then eventually became a, a part owner with a couple of friends. And it was a pest management company. I took care of things like bugs and rodents 
for people. And, and this, served, this served my family. It helped us early on in the days of, of seminary. It also helped us supplement pastoral income. And so I did this for a number of years. When I worked there on a regular basis, which wasn't always the case, but there was a period of time when I actually, in addition to serving as a part owner, I worked there as a kind of technician or an applicator. And when I did that, I, I spent some of my time speaking with potential clients. And uh, because we were a small company, I would, I would go out and give quotes and so forth and give a summary of our services. And one of the questions that I would receive on a regular basis concerning our company was this, does your business guarantee its work? Does your business guarantee its work? In other words, the question was, were, were we able to ensure that the remedy for whatever problem the client was facing, the remedy we claimed to provide would be effective? I often thought about how such a guarantee communicated the degree to which we were willing to stand behind our company and stand behind our services. After all, a solid guarantee, I'm talking about the kind of guarantee that doesn't have endless fine print, which is usually the case today, isn't it? But a solid guarantee communicates trustworthiness and effectiveness as a company. Well, in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, Peter offers us a far more significant guarantee than any business could offer, certainly any pest management business. The believers to whom Peter was writing this short letter faced trials and challenges as followers of Jesus Christ. Being Christians was not something easy to do in and around the areas these believers lived and at the time these believers lived. As a result, what they needed is they needed assurance. They needed security. They needed a guarantee, a guarantee from God that indeed they were secure in Christ Jesus. And that is precisely what this text offers us as followers of Jesus Christ here at First Baptist Powell in 2023. Through this text, we receive assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ is God's guarantee to believers. It communicates, in other words, unequivocally that the sovereign and benevolent God over heaven and earth stands behind his work in Christ and his promises through Christ to those who trust in Christ. So, if you're taking notes, here's what we're going to do this morning. A bit of a roadmap for us. We are going to unpack this text by identifying, it is Easter morning after all, five guarantees. <laughs> Those of you who attend on a regular basis know that I'm, I'm inclined to three. Um, this morning, I, I don't, things got out of hand. And one thing led to another. Three became four and four became five. Who knows by the end of the sermon, we may be at six or seven. But my plan is to identify five guarantees the resurrection offers us as believers in Jesus Christ. And I'm not gonna give them all to you up front. Um, I'm gonna give them to you as we walk through the text, okay? So, so hang in there. 
Hang in there. If you're taking those notes, you can just mark down one, two, three, four, and five, and we'll go back and we'll fill in those blanks. Five guarantees the resurrection offers us. Another thing I want to say at the outset is for our young worshipers. We, we offer G-Force through second grade. And so beginning in third grade, we encourage our younger worshipers to be in the time of, of preaching. And I know that's challenging. I know that, younger worshipers. It's hard to sit and listen to a preacher talk for as long as this preacher talks. So there are a couple of things I want you to look for in the text. So parents, grandparents, use these. Feel free to, to converse with these younger worshipers throughout the service. They are here as participants, not observers. So a couple of things for our younger worshipers. First of all, I want you to be able to answer this question. How does God describe the believer's inheritance? There are four ways God, through Peter, in the text, describes the believer's inheritance. What believers will inherit someday in Christ Jesus. What are those four ways? Okay, so you can look at the text and find this. And then secondly, the second thing I want our younger worshipers looking for this morning is this. When we suffer as believers, when we suffer, this is a kind of fill in the blank, we can experience what? Because of the resurrection. When we suffer in this life, and we will, we can experience Something. What is that something that we can experience because of the resurrection of Jesus? All right, so now let's begin identifying our five guarantees of the resurrection. First, we mentioned this one to you. The first guarantee of the resurrection is this. The resurrection guarantees that we are born again into hope. That's an interesting way of putting it. I'm gonna say it again, then we'll unpack it. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees that we are born again, birthed again into hope. Look with me, if you would, at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, here it is, to be born again, notice, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, there are a couple of observations I want to make here at the outset. First of all, notice that Peter begins this section with praise to the Father for what he has accomplished through Christ the Son. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Honored be this God. Praised be this God. Worshipped be this God. In other words, everything Peter is going to talk about actually highlights God's worthiness. Also notice that in verse 3, we find this phrase, according to his great mercy. You see that? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. I just want to say at the outset here that anything we talk about this morning that comes to us by virtue of the resurrection of Jesus, comes to us according to God's mercy. This is fundamental to Christianity. We don't receive good gifts from God on account of our own worthiness. 
We receive good gifts from God on account of his own mercy and grace. And the apostle Peter wants us to get this. And so he says here, of course, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. And then thirdly, this is, these are just introductory observations that will inform all of these guarantees. Every benefit in this text, every guarantee, we could say, in this text comes to us from the Father according to his mercy through the resurrection. You see that? Everything that God does for us as believers in Jesus Christ comes to us on account of or according to his mercy and it's extended through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so all of the guarantees we're going to identify, we've only mentioned one, all of them come to us through Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead. And in this first guarantee of the resurrection, namely the the guarantee that we are born again into hope, I want you to spend a moment with me thinking about what this image means, born again. It's actually a single word for Peter. Uh, And to my knowledge, he's the only New Testament author that uses this word, but it's really similar to John 3. Some of you know this. In John chapter 3, there is a conversation. And the conversation goes something like this. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and asks a question. And the question is, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life and to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds to Nicodemus in this way. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. And so the language that Jesus uses in John chapter 3 is actually quite similar to the language we find here in 1 Peter chapter 1. We must be born again in John 3. Here we're told we are born again by means of the Spirit through the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I have, I have three children. Three children, Madeline Grace, Christopher Titus, and Micah Perry. And, and all three of these children were born into our family. That's simply how we talk about being born, right? You're born into a family, and when we are born into a family, there are a few things that happen. First of all, that, that family identity shapes our own identity. It forms who we are. It forms how we act. It forms what we think. Being born into a family even provides a name, friends. And so, for example, my three children have my last name. There are other ways, of course, of of being born into a family. Adoption, of course, is one of those. And praise the Lord for that. The New Testament uses the image of adoption for Christianity. But here, it's the image of actually being birthed or born into a family. But notice the family name in the text. What is it? Living Hope. That's the name of the family. Just as you're born into, in my family, the Garrett family, in Christ Jesus, you're born into, born again into living hope. Christians have always been people of hope. People who are waiting eagerly for the fulfillment of God's promises in Christ Jesus. It forms our fundamental identity. And so this is the first guarantee that the Apostle Peter offers through the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection guarantees that we are born again into hope. That's the family. That's the kind of name, as it were. We're hopeful people, a living hope through Jesus Christ. Secondly, 
Second guarantee the resurrection offers us this morning. The resurrection guarantees the security of our future inheritance. The resurrection guarantees the security of our future inheritance. In other words, we hope, what we hope for rather, is certain through the resurrection. When Christians use this language of hope, it's not like hopeful, wishful thinking. We hope that someday this might be the case. No, no. Hope within Christ is a certainty. Why? Because it's rooted in the reality of Christ's bodily resurrection. It's rooted in the reality of what God has already accomplished in Jesus Christ. Now look with me at verse 4 where we find that the resurrection guarantees the security of our future inheritance. Verse four, again, God has caused us to be born again, and here's the language in verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, younger worshipers, pay close attention to what Peter is saying here. This gives you the answer to the first question I mentioned a moment ago how Peter describes our inheritance as believers. He stacks up these adjectives. You notice that? Our future inheritance is imperishable. In other words, it cannot perish. It doesn't go away. It lasts forever. It's undefiled. That is, it's without corruption. Nothing can corrupt this inheritance It is unfading. It's without any decrease or depreciation in value. So if you have assets, they depreciate in this life. Not the case with our eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus. And then fourthly, this inheritance is kept or it's preserved. Preserved by whom? By God. God is the one who keeps or preserves our inheritance in heaven for you. So through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, God guarantees to keep your inheritance secure in Christ. That's the promise God grants to us through the resurrection. Now, I want to say something, a bit of an aside here, but it's assumed in the text, an inheritance. An inheritance is something we receive by virtue of being related to somebody else, right? We receive an inheritance usually by virtue of being related to someone else. This is also the case for our Christian inheritance. We receive an eternal, incorruptible, undefiled, imperishable Inheritance kept in heaven for us. We receive that inheritance by virtue of being related to God through Christ. By virtue of being sons or daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So you need to know this. You need to know this morning, this Easter morning, that the resurrection is tremendous news for those who trust in Christ. If you are here this morning and you've not surrendered to Christ. We're so thankful you're here. If you're here this morning and you've not trusted in Christ, if you're not rightly related to Jesus Christ through faith in the resurrection, then 
what I want you to hear this morning from God through 1 Peter chapter 1 is a call. A call to embrace the inheritance God offers you through Christ. A call to become part of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ and then receive the promise of a secure, eternal inheritance through the resurrection of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you don't trust in Jesus or you haven't trusted in Jesus, perhaps even better to say, you aren't trusting in Jesus. Because we're not just talking about some past event in your life. And we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, I think. We're talking about a vibrant, living faith that the believer experiences in a right relationship with God through Christ. If that's not where you are this morning, then we would exhort you to repent of your sins and trust in Christ who was raised from the dead and embrace this eternal inheritance. And if you want to know more about this or talk more about what it means to trust in and follow Jesus and embrace this inheritance, then stick around after the service. I know you've all got plans. Take a few moments. And as you leave this room, take a left. And on the right-hand side out there is that room called Crossroads. Go in there and have a conversation about this inheritance, about this Savior, and about your final destiny. We would love to come alongside of you and you alongside of us as we trust in this risen Savior. But notice the resurrection doesn't merely guarantee the security of our future inheritance. That was the second guarantee. There's a third guarantee in the text. Third, the resurrection guarantees our security. So the resurrection guarantees that we've been born again into hope. It guarantees the security of our future inheritance, but it also guarantees not just the inheritance, it guarantees your security in Christ Jesus. God isn't just preserving the inheritance. He's preserving the heirs of the inheritance, you see. Notice verse five. Again, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And in the language of verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What good news this is. That through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is preserving you as you trust in Christ. Now, remember, when Peter wrote this letter, he wrote to Christians who were suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And this is why, for example, in verse 6, he speaks about the various trials they are experiencing. Chapters 2 and 3 will go on to talk about these various trials and the ways in which Christ models for the believer endurance in the midst of these trials. In fact, chapter 2, verse 23, Peter writes these words, When Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What is he doing? He's saying that through Christ's perseverance, through Christ's endurance in the midst of suffering and through his death, God actually provides you with preservation and perseverance and endurance. The resurrection guarantees our security, grants us the assurance amid suffering through the power, on account of the power of God, that we will not finally and fully fall away. So dear Christian, you need to hear this promise 
this morning as we stand at the empty tomb on account of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, you need to hear that God is preserving you amid all your suffering. After all, if God raised Christ out of suffering and death into life, never to die again, you can trust that in Christ, he will preserve you in comfort and sorrow, in life and in death. That's why Paul is able to say in Philippians chapter one, verse six, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How can Paul be so confident in this? His confidence rests not fundamentally in our abilities, but in God's ability and the guarantee of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So first, we've seen this. The resurrection guarantees that we are born again into hope. That was the first guarantee. Secondly, the resurrection guarantees the security of our future inheritance. Our inheritance is secure through the resurrection. Third, the resurrection guarantees our own security in Christ Jesus. Fourth, the fourth guarantee this morning in the text. The resurrection guarantees our joy. The resurrection guarantees our joy. I'm especially fond of this one. I'm fond of all of them. But I'm especially fond of this one. Because this one, this one grows legs and walks today. This is one that can be experienced right now. The resurrection guarantees our joys. Peter writes in verses six and seven, look down at the text with me if you would. In this, in this you what? Rejoice. Rejoice. And notice what he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. By the way, that assumes that if you are grieved by various trials, those trials are necessary. Under God's sovereign benevolence, they're necessary as instruments from your Father to conform you to the image of Christ. It's a, perhaps another sermon. Verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The kind of joy that Christians experience through the resurrection of Jesus, according to God's mercy, is not the kind of joy that, that is dependent on fleeting moments of happiness and comfort. It's the kind of joy that remains during good times and bad times. It's the kind of joy that is steadfast when we are healthy and when we are ill. It's the kind of joy that endures in life and transcends through and beyond death. In fact, it's the kind of joy that can be experienced even with eyes that are full of tears. This is not the cheap knockoff of always feeling like as a Christian you gotta walk around with a smile on your face. That's, it's not the same thing. It's deeper than that. In fact, 
I would submit to you that it's deeper than that because Scripture commands that it be experienced at all times while still exhorting us to weep with those who weep. In other words, Christian joy can be had alongside of grief. In fact, it undergirds it and informs it. It doesn't allow it to overwhelm us, but in fact allows us to experience it authentically and genuinely as followers of Jesus Christ. Notice what Peter does not say to those who are suffering. There are a few things he doesn't say that I think I perhaps would have said at some point in my life. Maybe you would have as well. Peter does not say to those who are suffering, you know what, this life is going to get better. He doesn't say that. I, I, recently, I recently spoke with a woman who was exhausted by the cheap platitudes offered among evangelical Christians. She is a follower of Jesus. But she expressed to me that she was, she was exhausted on account of suffering and, and what she had experienced in the past. She was exhausted in the midst of that suffering to hear things like, you know what? God closed that door. He'll open up another door even better in this life. Dear friends, that may not be true. Life may not get better this side of resurrection. The Christian hope is not rooted in this life. You see, the Christian hope transcends what this life offers. And so I'd be lying to you if I said, you know, if you don't know Jesus, come to know Jesus and you're going to experience a healthy, wealthy, and prosperous life. No, you may come to Jesus and you may forfeit everything. A friend of mine, a friend of mine came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and because he came to know the Lord, he lost his marriage. Because his wife didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Now had he been lied to and, and, and was told, you know what, if you come to Jesus, God will put your marriage back together. Then, then that Jesus failed. That Jesus is impoverished. He's bankrupt. He's incapable. You, you see, we're misguided. And it's not that we're entirely wrong. It's that we're making promises about the future life in the present. We're mistaking God's promise for eternal prosperity in the moment. And we miss that actually we enter into the kingdom through many tribulations. We stand before an empty tomb only by means of Golgotha. Only as we pass through the cross. This is the model for us as followers of Jesus. So Peter, Peter doesn't say to those who are suffering, you know what, don't worry, your life is going to get a lot better in this life. It is going to get better. Just maybe not in this life. It may and if it does, praise him for it. Praise him for it because it will not be on account of your own goodness. It will be on account of his own mercy. But there's something far better than this life for you. Peter does not say, your suffering isn't that bad. 
He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know what? Stop whining. Get over it. Right? He doesn't say that. He, he recognizes the reality of suffering. It's real. Peter says something like this. My words, not his. But I think faithful to what Peter is saying. Your life may not get any better. These are persecuted Christians. Your life may not get any better. In fact, it may get worse. Christ has not promised you health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. However, he has secured all of this for you and more through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the life to come. And this is why in verse six, Peter can say, in this you rejoice. Though now, notice, don't miss this, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the resurrection of Jesus makes a statement about all of our suffering that we need seared into our hearts this Easter morning. The resurrection declares that all pain, every cancer diagnosis, every insult, all the betrayal we experience, every sleepless night as a spouse, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a child. Every goodbye to a loved one. Friends, parents, even children, spouses. The resurrection declares all of this temporary. That's what the resurrection says about our suffering. It's bad. It will end. It will stop. And the glory that's coming when Jesus Christ is revealed, the language that Peter uses, is at the revelation of Jesus. When Jesus is revealed from heaven and he descends as he ascended in Acts chapter one, when that happens, the glory to be revealed will eclipse and transcend all the pain you experienced. It's not that it never happened. Some even argue, well, it's, you, know, you forget it. I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. There's no indication that we suddenly forget everything that we've ever experienced as human beings. No, no, it's that the glory to be revealed to us when Jesus Christ returns and the complete restoration of everything that sin and death has taken from us, that glorious inheritance will eclipse and transcend any amount of suffering we experience in this life. All of it, all of it, temporary. For this reason, we can endure with authentic joy and certain hope through the resurrection of Jesus, no matter our circumstances. Fifth, finally, finally, the resurrection guarantees our endurance in faith now, this one's similar to what we said a moment ago, but it's the opposite side of the same coin. Let me say that again. The resurrection guarantees our endurance in faith. 
Notice verses eight and nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Isn't this so true of us in the room? We have not been privileged to see the resurrected Jesus as the apostles and others were privileged to see. But though we've not seen him, we, we love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Notice, obtaining the outcome of your faith. The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, this is, this is the opposite side of the same coin of another guarantee. We've already said that God, through the resurrection, God has guaranteed to preserve us. And that's the way of emphasizing God's preservation of us. It's all, of course, rooted in God's power. This side of the coin says the way God will preserve us is through our continued faith. In other words, God doesn't promise. Now, listen closely, okay? Don't misunderstand me. God doesn't promise if you walk down an aisle, you say a prayer, you sign a card, and you get baptized at some point in your life, regardless of what follows it, right? Regardless of whether you believe the gospel today, regardless of whether you're serving Jesus Christ today, regardless of your relationship to the church today, God does not promise if you just do those things, once saved, always saved, you're safe. I hear this on a, on a pretty regular basis, and it grieves my heart. It is indeed, it is indeed that once you are you are saved, you're always saved. But I think I want to modify that, right? And I'm not the only one who's done this. It's once you are genuinely saved. You are always saved. Well, how do you know the genuineness of your faith? Endurance. You see? Endurance. It's perseverance. Yes, it's God preserving you. Absolutely. But the means whereby God is preserving you is continued faith. In Jesus Christ, God doesn't, God doesn't preserve us at the expense of our faith or in the absence of our faith. No, God preserves us through our faith in Jesus Christ. After all, this is perhaps why the New Testament authors will speak of faith as something that God does in us and through us. Paul will do this in Philippians chapter one, toward the end of Philippians chapter one, God has granted to you not simply to believe, but also to suffer. So faith is considered a gift and so is suffering from God. Or Ephesians chapter two, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the what? Gift of God. I take it that faith is included as a part of that gift. Or consider Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that refers to Jesus as the founder or the author and the perfecter of our faith. You see, if, if faith is something, of course we are believing. Yes, indeed, we are exercising faith, but we're doing so, we're doing so as people who have been acted upon and in through God's mercy, in the resurrection 
by the power and presence of the Spirit, God has worked in us and we're responding in faith and God preserves us absolutely until the end and the resurrection guarantees that God is preserving us and he's doing so by means of enduring faith. So friends, to come full circle, find your life, your new birth, your family name, identity. Find your security. The security of your future inheritance and your own security and assurance. Find your joy in the midst of suffering. And find your endurance in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Everything you need for life and godliness can be found and is provided for you in Christ Jesus. One of the modern hymns that we sing is a song penned by Keith Getty and Stuart Townend called In Christ Alone. I don't just love old songs, see? I like some newer songs. In Christ Alone. And in the third stanza, we find these comforting words. There in the ground, his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave, he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, the next stanza, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy. What a privilege to meditate on the guarantee of the resurrection of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this text, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 together, this Easter morning. We praise you that we are secure in Christ through the resurrection. We praise you that you have provided for us everything we need for life and godliness through the resurrection. We praise you that we can experience authentic joy in good times and in bad times, in seasons of comfort and seasons of tremendous loss through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We praise you that if we have come to know you authentically, you will preserve us through continued faith in 
the resurrection of Jesus, your son. So we praise you, O God. As Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.